Dear saints who, in the words of the song that we just sang, are keeping watch, crying out, How long, O Jesus, until you come and you deliver us from this world of toil and evil to be with you forever? Hands. You have them. I have them. Hands can tell the story of a person's life if you think about it, or at least some things about a person. The dirty, rough hands with grease that's stuck underneath the fingernails tell the story of a hardworking mechanic. The pristine, smooth hands of, of, uh, that, that are painted with, with, with pristine paint all over and are, are nice and smooth tell the story of the woman that just came back from the spa. The little hands of the baby wrapped around the finger of dad's, dad's pinky tells the story of a child looking for security. My football coach in high school, he, he would tell stories, and he would show us his scars on his hand, and he could tell us uh, that was a 30-yard line stand, and this was a gold line stand over here, and he could tell a story about every mark that he had on his hands from his playing days. Your stories tell hands maybe too. You look to see if they have a ring on that finger, right? My thumb, my left thumb doesn't work like it used to. It doesn't bend as far back as it used to because in college, I went on a bike ride and I went down a hill 10, 15 miles an hour, standing up, chain came off and I went flipping over and pushed my thumb into my hand. doesn't work like it used to. Missed a whole year of football that year. Our hands, they tell a story. And it's no surprise that God would use a picture like that to talk about his hands in 1 Peter chapter 5. He does. And he wants us to know something about his hand because his hand is in our life. And we live in his hands. And so this morning I want you to think about God's hands the way that Peter, the writer, wants us to think about God's hands. Hands that are mighty, hands that humble us, but hands that also deliver us. Here are the words that are on page 10 in the service folder on the top. We'll read all of them. I'll read them for you. You follow along. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And Peter ends it. Amen. Yes, it is true. Here's a, here's a notion that's going around uh, that, 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 that's a falsehood about suffering and about the, the pain. He says, believers around the world are going through the same kind of suffering, and we do go through suffering in our life under God's hands, in God's hands. And, and here's the notion that's false that we get mixed up with very often. Even believers, even lifelong believers sometimes believe this, and we've got to watch out for it because it's not true. We often mistake God's loving discipline as God's wrath and his punishment against 
me because of my sin. In other words, when something bad is happening in my life, I think about what I had done the day before and how I had sinned. And I, must, and I think to myself, well, this is happening to me because God must be taking out his wrath on me because I did that other thing. And, and, and the season in my life that I'm going through, that I'm feeling the suffering, that I'm feeling the pain, that's a result of my sin. But here's the truth. It says in the Bible that Jesus swallowed the pill of your sin for you. That sin that you committed is forgiven. God is not pouring out his wrath on you, but God poured out his wrath on his own son at the cross. Jesus drank that whole cup of God's wrath, the sins that you have, the sins that I have, the sins that the whole world has, and he drank it to the last drop. So there's no more condemnation. There's no more punishment on you because of your sin. Now you're asking, but Pastor Dan... Why do I go through the seasons that I go through then in God's hands? If, if he's forgiven me and, and I'm repentant and I, and I believe on him as my Savior, then why does he allow me to suffer? Why does he allow me to confront evil in my life? It's common for all believers, Peter says. He says, believers around the world, verse 9, are going through the same kind of suffering. But it's not lightning bolts from God's about his wrath. They're power surges of his love. When you go through suffering, and, and we do as Christians, we go through the same kind of common suffering and pain, and we confront the same kind of evil that the rest of the world and, and believers around the world are confronted with, we think about them as power surges from God that are used to grow us and to make us and to form us and to shape us into the child that God wants us to be. In other words, the suffering or season maybe that you're going through in your life may be put there and allowed by God so that you can have a new spiritual insight about yourself or maybe somebody else or maybe the world around you. I remember a couple of years ago, I don't think I really understood what it meant to be in a hospital and to minister to somebody in a hospital bed until my kidneys nearly failed and I found myself looking up at God. He's using a season in our life to form us, to shape us, not out of wrath, but out of love. And I don't think I really took my own mortality seriously until my friend and colleague passed away from skin cancer just a couple years after we graduated seminary, and he had his own family the same as mine. We go through these seasons in life. Sometimes God puts them in our life to wake us up, to shake us. We're spiritually, we have spiritual apathy, we're asleep, and God wants to shake us up, and he wants us to run back to him and to say, I need God more than ever because I'm going through this season in my life or this, this event in my life. Sometimes the seasons are long. Sometimes they feel like we're trapped in these seasons for an entire lifetime. Like Paul, who wrote that he had a thorn in his side and he prayed to God, take it away, take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Or maybe the season is short and you forget about it the next morning. God is like that surgeon who has to make a cut And his discipline to us, to grow us, is that cut that he makes so that he can fix us and grow us. And here's where the devil comes in. When that cut is made, and maybe you're going through a season in your life right now where you're confronted with evil, or you're confronted with standing up and being firm underneath the evil that you're faced with, the devil comes with his pillbox of prescription drugs. And they are not what God prescribes but they're what the devil prescribes. And the pillbox could look like anything around you. You see the whole world using the pillbox. 
Maybe it's um, drinking too much in the season of stress. Maybe it's just drowning our brains with hours and hours of screen time. Or, or maybe it's porn. Or maybe it's, it, it's throwing the pity party for ourselves. Or maybe it's uh, a complaining just like everybody else. And the devil comes to us and he says, look, look, I can help in your suffering when you're cut open. I can help you. Why don't you just take this, this pill right here? And he promises us, the devil promises us that he will satisfy us, that he will bring relief in those moments when we're confronted with evil. That's what Peter's addressing, and he says in in verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. In other words, wake up! This isn't, this isn't what God prescribes. Look at his word. What would God have you do in this situation? Wake up. Be of sober mind. Don't make decisions like a drunk. And in verse 9, resist him. That is the devil. Standing firm in the faith. We have to recognize this about the evils that we face. God is not calling us to do nothing. This is so important for us to understand when we resist evil is that resisting evil is not the same thing as doing nothing. If I want to get out, or if I want to stand up in a whole crowd of concert goers, and I don't want to fall down, but I'm going against them, I don't do nothing, do I? I have to fight, and I have to go, and I have to give an elbow here if I'm going to make it and stand firm if I'm going against that crowd. Peter's calling us to fight, to stand firm. And he's calling us to do that, not with our own hands, but he's calling us to fight and to stand firm with the help that comes from above. In other words, he's given us God's mighty hands. When God allows us to be disciplined, to go through that same kind of suffering that is common to all believers, he has also given us the hands of relief. That's why he says what he says in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because, and you can say his hands, his mighty hands, care for you. In the fight against evil, do not stand still, but run to his mighty hands. When the pain is too much, and I'm tempted to go into that pillbox that the devil brings to me, and to pick a prescription, Peter is telling us, cast all your anxiety on God. God, right now I'm confronted with that same demon that I was confronted with last week, I'm casting all my anxiety on you because you care for me. When the suffering is too much, when we feel like um, we don't understand God's plan or or, or God's plan in our life to go through the season of suffering, um, when we can't understand why he's allowing us to go through that, he says, cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. God, I can't understand why you're allowing this to happen in my life at this time, but help me stand firm and help me understand what it is that you're accomplishing right now in my suffering, this evil. And when I'm overwhelmed and I just can't muster up the energy and, I, and I've gone through this, maybe it's that Paul thorn in the side marathon locked in a jail type of, type of suffering and I don't see an end to it and I don't have the power to muster up to it, I pray to God, God, I cast all my anxiety on you because you care for me because I love your hands. I think the best description of a, um, a hand that disciplines for our good is the hand of a parent, right? Uh, it's a parent's hand that maybe throws the ball a little bit high 
for their son so their son can learn how to jump or to be a better catcher. It's the parent's hand that, um, it's the parent's hand that holds, holds the child when they're sick. It's the parent's hand that takes away a toy from a child so the child learns how to share. This past uh, Friday, I went to the doctor to get our, our 12-month-old one-year uh, shots and our baby four-year-old's four-year shots. So you can imagine we had a really fun Friday afternoon. Um, but as, as we're getting the shots, the nurse says, I want you to take your baby girl, and this is how we're going to do this. You're going to take your hands and put them over her shoulders, and you're going to hold her still, and you're going to put your face right down into her face. And I thought to myself, well, thanks a lot. I get guilt by association. Why don't you have mom do this? And I loved having my baby girl scream in my face. I did. It hurt me. But those, but those shots were good for her. And those shots were necessary for her development or for her well-being or for her health. God may be holding us down like the hand of a parent that develops a child, the hand of a parent that lets a little baby go so that she can take her first couple of steps to learn how to walk. Did you know that Jesus had to teach Peter, the one who wrote these words, how to walk on water? Jesus saw Peter, and he saw what Peter didn't have, and so he took him into his Mighty hands that disciplines. You see, Jesus wanted more courage out of Peter than Peter had. He wanted more humility out of Peter than Peter had. He wanted more faith out of Peter than Peter had. And he wanted more strength out of Peter than, he thought, than Peter thought he had. And so on this day and, or night when, the, when there's a storm on the, on the, on the water... The disciples are all in a boat. Jesus isn't with them, and the boat is going, and the waves are, are, are about as high as Peter's eyes. All of a sudden, Jesus walks out onto the water. And it's interesting that he doesn't calm the storm, because he could have done that, right? He had done it before, and he could do it again. But he doesn't calm the storm, but he allows Peter and the disciples to go through the storm because he has a hand that disciplines, and he wanted to get more out of Peter. And so he said to Peter, Come! And Peter stepped out of that boat. And did Peter fail? Well, in the lower story, it looked like he had failed. Because he took a step out and he began to sink immediately because he didn't have the courage. He didn't have the faith. He didn't have the humility. He didn't have the strength. And it's in those moments when he looked like he was about to fail that his Savior, the mighty hand that disciplines, was also the mighty hand that reached down. And grabbed him before he drowned and restored him and put him back. That mighty hand won. Because of that mighty hand, he won more courage, more faith, more strength for his disciple. That mighty hand that saved Peter is also the mighty hand that saves you and rescues you. So think about that mighty hand right now. The mighty hand of Jesus. The mighty hand that may be allowing you to go through a season where he's humbling you. Or maybe he's allowing you to go through a season of disaster or of trauma. Whatever that he's allowing you to go through. But think about Jesus' hand for this second. 
that little hand of a baby that grasped the straw in the manger that said, Jesus, God is with us. That hand that uh, grew bigger and helped dad in the carpentry shop to put things together, that same hand was the hand that healed blind people, that raised men off of mats who had never walked before, the hand that healed lepers. Those hands clasped together in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, God, if there's any other way to, to deliver all the world from this evil, Please do that, but your will be done. Those hands that were tied together by evil men and put on trial in front of the church, in front of the government, the hands that were forced to hold a a mocking uh, king's staff along with the crown of thorns and the robe, the hands that had the splinters because he carried his own cross, the hands that were bruised, the hands that were laid out, and the hands that were split open by nails. Those hands are the beautiful hands of your Savior. And the Father allowed him to go through evil. He allowed him to go through a season and a very painful moment in his life. In fact, he allowed him to take on the full brunt of hell when he spread out his hands and had the nails go through them. Because he loves you that much. To save you from Satan, his pillbox, and everything that the devil would offer. He's forgiven that. And on the third day, Jesus came back and he spoke to his disciples as he spoke, speaks to you and me, look at my hands and see. And what did he tell them? Touch them. Touch my hands because I want you to see the hands that delivered you are also the hands that discipline you and love you. Forty days later, he raised up those hands and he said, do not fear And today it says that Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 8, it says, Jesus Christ who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so we ask the question, God, why don't you take away the migraines? Or God, why why do you allow evil to happen to us? Uh, why Why do you give me this headache at this commute every day when I drive home from work? Or whatever it is, a big event, or maybe it's a small suffering event. Maybe God will deliver you from that. Maybe he does. Or maybe he changes the circumstance and he answers his prayer in that way. But he could very well say, no, I'm not going to change the circumstance. I'm going to grow your faith. I'm going to bring you closer to me like I brought Peter. And so he ends with the gospel promise that he's standing there with you in the waves. And he wants you to grow because of the hand of discipline that he has offered and the hand of humility and, and delivery that he offers you. And that's so he ends and he says in verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's what we're praying when we pray, deliver us from evil. We're going through this series, and we have one week left next week. This is the last one on the Lord's Prayer, the last sermon on the Lord's Prayer. And we're praying, really, Lord, deliver us from evil. Lord, I trust your mighty hand in my season of suffering right now, and I trust your mighty hand to deliver me. 
And so when you're confronted with the pillbox by the devil, the truth, I guess, that Peter is saying is this. My strength to overcome evil has less to do with my willpower and my hands, and it has everything to do with the hands of my loving God. And then we can say with Jesus, when he gave up his spirit on the cross, we can say, deliver us from evil, Father in heaven. We can say, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands we commit ourselves. Amen.